The human spirit is unconquerable. We are individuals and we are sovereign, born with unlimited potential, gifted from our creator. Our mission is to break free from the systems that bind us. I volunteer as tribute. We strive for peace and prosperity and overcome all challenges, roadblocks, and obstacles. We are empowered because we think for ourselves and we act for ourselves. We are self-reliant and independent, but guided by the wisdom of those who share our values. What possible difference can I make? There is no government, no ruler, nor ideas that are able to stop us. We are driven to succeed because we seek political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. This is Mike Corbell, and you are listening to The Invictus Mind. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Invictus Mind podcast. This is your host, Mike Corbell. I'm grateful to be here and grateful for you listeners out there. This is episode number 48. I've had this podcast for almost an entire year now and have been trying to be consistent in providing great content on a weekly basis to you, at least as much as is feasibly possible. That trend will continue going forward into the future as much as I can foresee. So if you are a returning listener, then keep coming back. And if you are a new listener, go ahead and subscribe to your favorite podcatcher. This show is currently on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and CastBox, but I will be looking to add this show to other platforms in the near future. If you like this content, go ahead and share it with three of your friends so the message will spread and reach those who need to hear it. If you'd like to watch this video, you can find it on YouTube. I haven't equipped myself to go into live yet, but that is something I'm toying with going into 2021. You can also see the videos of this show on my Patreon page. And if you wish to support the show, you can throw me a couple bucks there. And the proceeds will be used strictly for advertising and marketing in order to help this show grow. You can find me on social media. There is an Invictus Mind Facebook group where I welcome people to contribute and share relevant content. I'm also on Minds.com, Locals.com, MeWe, and on Parlor. Just look up my name or MWCorbell1 to catch me there. Finally, I want to let everyone know that I do have an email letter I'm working on sending out weekly. There I'll have some of the show notes regarding these episodes, but I'll also send you some info regarding some affiliates that I've been working with, things like the Tunnel Twins books, or a link to a great company that offers Kratom and other CBD products. Also, some of the business opportunities I talk about occasionally on this show. To be part of that group, just text the word Invictus, I-N-V-I-C-T-U-S, to 33777, and you'll get further information sent to you. All right. In today's episode, I'm having an interesting discussion about something I don't know a lot about, but it has intrigued me recently. I'm going to share a couple stories from my youth and the experimentation I've had with psychedelics, but also as we are seeing a trend for the positive, in my opinion, towards the decriminalization of drugs and other natural substances, my thoughts have turned to the benefits some of these substances will offer people. This is a general conversation and mostly opinion, as you will see that neither my guests nor myself are experts in this area, but I think it does provide a nice primer for those who wish to look further into this topic. At the very least, I think it will provide some entertainment value to the listeners. My final thoughts moving forward is that I make no recommendations at this time for anyone to try or experiment with psychedelic drugs like LSD, psilocybin mushrooms, or ayahuasca, but as I am a strong believer in individual liberty and in reaching our true potential, 
I leave you to make such decisions as you see fit. Okay then, let's get started. Today is a guy I was referred to to speak with when I post a question on Facebook. He is an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, and an activist. He holds degrees in psychology and philosophy from Texas State University, and his career spans a few different industries, including education, radio, politics, and a non-for-profit entity. I was interested in learning more about his work, which he credits his success to some of his personal life experiences. His name is Nick Reed. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing much better now that I'm here, Michael. Uh, awesome. Very cool. So I'm going to start by saying that uh, this conversation, uh, I wasn't reluctant to, to start it, but I'm very curious about it. I know some of my listeners probably think that this is a controversial topic, but uh, because of what's happening in 2020, I've really raised a lot of questions regarding my own health, uh, both mentally and physically, but also just some of the things that uh, the government's doing. We saw one of the main turnarounds in this past election was that uh, it seems that the war on drugs, uh, the drugs are winning. And so, uh, you know, psychedelics made legal in Oregon and Washington, D.C. And, and that's really what prompted this question. I, I wanted to know more about psychedelic drugs, including mushrooms, LSDs. And uh, when I posed the question on Facebook, Nick, your name came up within like two minutes. So uh, <laughs> I guess you can start off by telling me a little bit about yourself and why your name would come up on my Facebook feed in two minutes saying, you're the guy I need to talk to about this kind of subject. 
Well, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a lawyer. I'm more of just a philosophical entertainer. <laughs> but uh, uh, I have been a pretty open and vocal advocate for the therapeutic um, and more non-recreational use of psychedelics. And I'm, I'm a big free speech and free thinking proponent. And so this falls right in line with those categories. And it's good to see that it's starting to, psychedelics, I mean, make its ascent back into culture as, as a positive tool for healing and transformation. Yeah, lately, uh, we've been hearing a lot about uh, these types of things on, on podcasts, like, uh, for example, Joe Rogan talks a lot about this kind of stuff. And I listen to Jason Stapleton, and, and he had a conversation, which really prompted my question today. Now, what my was that first, question? Well, I mean, more about, uh, are there health benefits to psychedelics, to make it right. quite simple? Right. So my personal experience, Nick, is, uh, you know, in my college days, I experimented with a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, LSD and, and mushrooms were fun at the time. But as they say, when you grow older, you got to put away childish things. And so I kind of did. So nobody within my vicinity, like, ever talks about uh, LSD or psilocybin. And uh, I'm curious about it just because I had fun when I was younger. But now people are talking about the health benefits. And I, and, and I know I have some experience with people in my life with mental health disorders and I just want to hear your take on it. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting to hear people talking about the, the health benefits. Most people are talking about the medical health benefits. It helps cancer patients with a, a anxiety about death. It's helping people with depression. Um, of course, you have people, you, you have lots of young entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley who are experimenting with it for, uh, you know, creativity and using the, the smart part of your brain as well. And there's a couple Nobel Prize winners, uh, Watson, was it Watson Crick? Was that his name? Or am I mixing two guys up? Well, anyway, who uh, discovered the, the, not the single helix, but saw the double helix shape as a result of his experimentation with, with LSD. There's a lot of there's a lot of talk mostly about the high profile uh, people who have used it and some of the big studies that have come out about its, its medical use. Um, and it does. It does have a lot of, of medical benefits and more, I think, psychological benefits than it's helping people regrow an arm or something like that. <laughs> um, but the curious thing, I think, is is psychedelics ability to change culture it's like and its ability to help people in personal growth and through a process of transformation you know what happens in the brain and from a neurological perspective when you, when you look at what happens to the brain in psychedelics is very similar to what the people who had psychedelics at the center of their culture uh, used to describe in their cultural transformation process. They had coming of age ceremonies and rites of passage that were structured and designed kind of like the hero's journey. You have a departure from an old world. Say you take a youth, right, who's becoming a man or a woman and you take them out of the woods, take them out of the old world of childhood and you initiate them into, you know, the different experiences and challenges that they're going to need to be a healthy contributing member of your, your tribal society. And then after they have all that learning and growth, right, and learn these new skills and values, then you bring them back to the tribe and they integrate that and become mm -hmm. a full-fledged member of the adult community. 
Well, when you look at what happens in the brain with a psychedelic, there's a process of neurological pruning that happens. And that is old neurological pathways that are weak, that are not being used or serving you, so to speak, get broken down. And new neurological pathways can be formed very rapidly. And those that are used and serve you more often through a process of myelination get coated in a uh, fatty sheath that speeds up the neuron firing and, and reinforces those connections between neurons. It's the exact same process, the hero's journey, the exact same process that you see in rites of passage and cultural transformation processes in the societies that used to use psychedelics. And we are a markedly culture without any coming of age ceremony or rites of passage or any community involvement in, in the coming of age process at all, except for you get your driver's license and you turn a tassel from one side to another. And what we see is rampant a bunch of boys and men's bodies and, and sports uh, uh, athletes and politicians that we could hardly consider role models and leaders, leaders who are inspiring our, our, our youth today. So it's very interesting to see the cultural implications and more the deeper psychological benefits as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up at the end because I was going to ask about the, the cultural rites of passage you see. Yeah, most, you know, in, in America, uh, secularly, we don't have anything like that. I and mean, a lot of the faiths, a lot of your churches will have some kind of small ceremony. I mean, obviously the Bar Mitzvah and the Jewish tradition and, and several other things. Um, but uh, that's interesting that you talk about culture because uh, let me share with you a little bit of story uh, from 20 years back or so when I was experimenting. I, somebody came up to me and, uh, you know, I was just in my wild and crazy days. And they're like, hey, you want to try mushrooms? I said, sure, why not? And as it happens, we actually took a trip down to the, the museum in Chicago, the, the Field Museum. And uh, we wound up in the, the, the old hall about, uh, about cultures and history. And we saw these little statues uh, of, of mushroom gods and stuff like that. So uh, when you say cultural, I mean, to my knowledge, what I've learned is that this stuff's been around for thousands of years. It's older than us. <laughs> it's crazy. And, uh, you know, and there's, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of hype about it. It is funny because I was watching a video the other day. I can't remember. It was on Netflix. It was psychedelics. But uh, you talk about some of the leadership in the country. Now, we didn't... Uh, we didn't see any leaders, my, my wife and I, we didn't see any, we would call cultural leaders on this program, but you saw a lot of your entertainers, musicians and movie stars talking about all their psychedelic trips and, and how, uh, you know, they, uh, they became more creative and they became more in tune with, uh, with the world because of their experience. With, with mushrooms and LSD, I mean, why do you think it's taken so long for them to start like hitting the surface on a legal ground? Well, that's Pandora's box. I mean, there's a lot of speculation there's obviously some strong, it was made illegal for some strong political reasons, not just danger to society. And in, the, uh, in 1966, I believe when it became psychedelics and LSD became a federally scheduled substance, there were, there were propaganda campaigns paid for with your tax dollars that, you know, MDMA will put holes in your brain and LSD, if you take uh, more than 10 doses, will make you clinically insane. And all of these, these myths that were completely baseless and foundless, but ju just were to scare people straight and get people to just say no and not even try it. Because who wants to lose their sanity? Who wants to put physical holes in their brain? 
you know, th these were uh, uh, very high, high stakes claims, you know. But at the same time, also, you had, if you look at the time when, when LSD was first synthesized, LSD-25, um, and made its way through Timothy Leary and Harvard into mainstream society, you had a giant cultural revolution happening. You know, the old structures of society were breaking down. The value systems that, that had formed were under threat. And the institutions, which are longstanding functions of society, uh, were ultimately, I think, fearing for their survival from this thing, from a, a, a mushroom in a field or LSD. And you have these kids who had started with, with no power, they had no authority and they had no money and they started an environmental movement. They started having transcendent experiences and realizing that they're connected to all things. And, you know, they're wrapping themselves around trees and linking arms to stop people from, from clear cutting forests and jungles. You know, they weren't just crying for the government to do something and you know what the president should do. They were actually acting as if, you know, their own arm was, was being cut off. And it was a direct result, I think, of some of the most transformational experiences that a human being can possibly experience. You know, there was a study done that showed that people who took a high dose of psilocybin, the active psych psychoactive ingredient in uh, the, the magic mushroom, reported it was one of the top five most meaningful experiences of their entire life up there with the birth of their first child, you know, mm. or, uh, uh, first sex or, uh, something like that. I mean, that's, that's pretty influential. And so you can imagine what this would do, not just on the individual level, but on a mass level where you have, you know, 25 million people who now have been exposed to, uh, something that curiously our neur neurology is very receptive to having and can have a, a great transformational effect at the neurological as well as the psychological level. Yeah, you think about uh, the, the 60s and uh, what they call the hippie cultural movement, right? Everyone's coming aware of what's really going on. And a lot of that is still carried over today. And uh, I guess uh, when, I was in, when I was in college, well, late after high school, it was late 90s. So college years would have been late 90s. And, uh, you know, they say that, hey, if you want to really know what's going on, you know, ingest some of this stuff. And I've had uh, my fair share of, uh, of opening experiences where I just look at the world completely different. And so why I was curious about this is because here in 2020, Nick, we, we have just changes going on. For good or for bad, we have a, a cultural shift happening in, in this country and worldwide. And uh, people are literally looking at systems breaking down. And I think a lot of neuroticism is happening because of, of these changes going on. And so I think that uh, why this conversation is getting more and more popular, why so many people jumped on, hey, I want to check out that podcast, Mike, when you put it, because there are many questions. Raising. I mean, do we need to have psychedelics to, to adapt to these changes? Or do you say it's helpful? The reason why I ask is because I know many people who are just completely depressed. And I'm hearing voices saying, hey, why don't you take some mushrooms to help you out? What would you think about that? Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that we, we need any particular psychoactive substance in order to fix our problems. I do think that they're very powerful and extremely underrated uh, tools or catalysts for positive change. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, there are people who have 
peak mystical experiences that change your life through meditation. There are people that have it through losing a loved one and uh, the grief process. There are people that have it for, for God knows why, no reason at all. You know, and I think that, and not everybody who takes a psychedelic has a, a, a powerful, you know, transcendent, mystical, life-changing experience. Most people do though, when they take a high dose. And so I think that, you know, while meditation may take some, some learning and some practice, you might have to be trained in order to, to uh, uh, reach kind of these altered states of these, these other states of consciousness. Psychedelics can kind of give you a passive introduction to it without much work. It doesn't take a, a, a very skilled initiate to eat a substance, you know, and sit there for a while, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't take a lot of uh, mastery. What does take mastery is making sure you're set and setting or properly or guiding other people. And I think that's very important and something that traditional societies figured out a long time ago. And we, uh, with, with our anti-authoritarian uh, approach, want to just take it and go, you know, to, to a giant party or something. And psychedelics are not always a recreational experience. Oftentimes people face, face their fears, which can be a very positive and uh, empowering thing, thing to do is face your fears, you know, and let's, but uh, uh, your setting and context can completely make that uh, uh, into a, a very difficult experience very fast. Right. So I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson. He has actually spoken on this topic a lot, and he's uh, he, he talks a lot about the helpful benefits that uh, these types of substances will actually do. But he cautions by saying, "Beware of unearned knowledge," which you know I can only associate being you know maybe that's what they call you know a bad trip, right? Uh, you mentioned a second ago that uh, you know it's, it's not always recreational usage you want to use these things for, but to overcome fears or, or to uh, reduce anxiety and things like that. And uh, it's been my experience, again, going back to the past, that you, know, you, you need to have a good, I will call it a guide or maybe a guru, somebody who can sit there with you if you're going to be entertaining this type of medication. Would you agree with that? I would 100% completely agree. I don't think that these, I mean, we operate 100% every single day in our oblique problem-solving Monday morning state of consciousness, mm-hmm. which is what keeps us safe. It's our ego, it's self-interested, and it's, it's very good at keeping us out of trouble. Uh, but when you enter uh, another state of mind like that, where you're o- overwhelmed with novelty, and as uh, maybe Alex Huxley would describe, the doors of perception have been opened you know, I mean, you're no longer looking at the world through chinks in your cavern. It can be a very overwhelming experience and even making it to the bathroom by yourself can be difficult, much less driving a car or hanging on the back of a motorcycle like James uh, Fatterman uh, so eloquently described. I think it's very important that, that we do it smart, especially if this is going to, um, psychedelics, I mean, make a comeback into culture as a positive a positive tool for personal growth and not a threat that we from the people from the bottom up have to use our, our freedom with responsibility. It's just the way it has to go. Right. And I think that uh, as we've seen uh, the legalization of cannabis, all the stories, the horror stories that, uh, you know, the anti-drug people will say, Oh, cannabis is going to make you insane. And it's going to cause all these things to happen. Well, it's been a few years, and now most of these states have legal recreational and medicinal cannabis. And where are these 
awful statistics that you see. I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to uh, that video I saw last night regarding mushrooms and LSD, and they had the uh, uh, the Dare program from the '80s. If you remember that, uh, and uh, they had all the different after-school specials regarding, you know what drugs will do to you. And, and I thought it was hilarious when they talked about uh, these kids at a party doing LSD. And then the result was they jumped out the window because they just went insane after taking one dose. <laughs> and it's just like, Oh my gosh. But what was funny was that, you know, some of these celebrities were talking about their experience and they were talking about how time really just starts to slow down uh, when you're under, because there's a lot of knowledge that you're gaining, you know, there's, People always talk about the colors and the, and the wavy lines and the movements that you see of things around you, but your mind is literally expanding and you're taking in all of your senses at one time amplified, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's a different state of mind. I mean, mm -hmm. we couldn't imagine being awake without ever having gone to sleep. Sleep is another state of mind that is bizarre and weird and we don't understand it and brings us insights we didn't earn. And yet at the same time, it's the most essential state of mind to, to being able to have your oblique Monday morning problem solving state. And so this, the, the traditional societies as well as other people who are proponents of the therapeutic non-recreational use of, of psychedelics describe it as a third state in mm -hmm. the same way that uh, Indian gurus and meditation uh, instructors describe meditation as an important third state. And I, I think it's equally as important. Gotcha. You talk about gurus and we talked a little bit about the past. Um, you know, not only cultural I see the rite of passage. I see this as, as expanding our minds and, and, and taking on a whole new stage of life. But uh, you mentioned just in our conversations uh, via email that you know a lot of cultures have seen and used psychedelics for spiritual experiences. Right? I've heard stories about some of the very subjects and topics that we read about in the Bible, perhaps, were written while under the, the condition of uh, having some kind of uh, mushroom or something. Yeah, it's very possible. It's very possible that some of the things, for example, the Rig Veda was, is a book of uh, religious truths in the Hindu tradition that was supposed to be inspired by this mysterious substance called the Soma. And the Soma is like a, a bread that's pressed into a juice that's drank and, and gives the uh, tongue of the poet to the drinker who writes all of these spiritual truths down that turned into the religion. It's like uh, the source of the religious inspiration for these texts. Well, the Bible also has theirs. You have a gentleman named Moses who wanders out into you know, the desert into Mount Sinai, and uh, he finds on the ground this bread they call manna that appears overnight with the dew of the morning and looks like they call it horror dew, H-O-A-R dew, which is the, it's, it's the mycelium. The mycelium looks, the network looks like the fractal pattern of water, frozen water crystals, ice crystals. Mm called Horde Dew. And um, he says, you know, it, it sustained them in the desert. Well, a lot of people read literally, you know, uh, these, but metaphorically, if you think about it, the desert has always been, you know, mythological language to describe your spiritual state. You know, you go into the, the desert and it's very possible that not only did, is this manna, not only is this soma, and 
all these other weird references, um, a mushroom or something else. But many of our cultural, not just our religious traditions, could have much more psychedelic roots than, than we think, including the burning bush of Moses. Could, there could be the acacia plant, which is full of DMT. And if you were to set it ablaze, it would uh, give you all sorts of voices and, and visions. Now, truthfully, uh, Nick, those are substances I've never uh, messed with when I was younger. Uh, but you talked about DMT. Now, Joe Rogan talks about DMT all the time. How, how is that different than a mushroom? What, 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 what is it exactly? Well, I'm not a chemist, but people do report different experiences. And there are slight variations between different psychedelic uh, substances, it seems. I don't know if I'm qualified to go into the chemistry, if that's what you mean. Well, maybe the physical properties. Uh, so DMT, is that, is that a fungus-based substance, or is that uh, like from a different part of the plant? DMT doesn't come from a, a fungus, as far as I know, unless maybe ergot, uh, which was a mold grown on a bread that was used in the Ulyssian mysteries. Okay. The psychoactive substance, as far as I know, in in the, is the in the mushroom is psilocybin and psilocin, and uh, DMT, which stands for dimethyltryptamine, is the active ingredient in, uh, say, ayahuasca, as a commonly known. Um, psychedelic brew. It's a combination of two plants, Psychotria viridis, which is a green leaf that contains the dimethyltryptamine substance, and this other vine that they call ayahuasca, which is Banisteriopsis capi. And it's absolutely a miracle that they were able to figure this out. But your body is used to DMT. We produce DMT. We produce it. It's what makes you dream when you close your eyes and go to sleep. Dogs okay. have it. We're all illegal right now. Uh, and so the body knows how to break it down. It breaks it down when you're awake. If you were to eat it, because it's in all kinds of plants and foods, you just uh, break it down. You have a monoamine oxidase uh, enzyme that breaks down your stomach. So what this vine does when you combine it with this leaf is it, the vine contains a monoamine oxidase inhibitor that inhibits this enzyme from attaching to and breaking down the dimethyltryptine molecule, which makes it then digestible and it can enter your, your body and your bloodstream. And that's what produces the, the visionary uh, state of consciousness. Now, how they discovered this out of the billions of species of plants that they could have combined or, or tried to eat is nobody knows. You ask mm -hmm. the traditional people, they say, well, the plants told us. You know, which, which gets into the whole irrational side of how to, how to make uh, uh, scientific discoveries as well. Most of which are, are medical discoveries have just been ripped off from, from many shamans anyway. Which is why it's so tragic that uh, they make these substances illegal because we can't study them, right? I mean, we would love to have much more research involved and uh, we're probably missing decades of uh, possible research there. But, you know, I, I go back to this... Uh, notion of if, if, it's a, if it's a natural substance, if it's a plant, if it's a leaf, if it's a fungus, something that you could possibly grow at your house or find out in nature. Why is that kind of stuff illegal? It seems like natural substances should be beneficial to people. You know? It's just uh, it's just crazy to me that the legislation wants to. It's a bitter pill to swallow <laughs> for many people. Um, not everybody is is open to those kinds of experiences or to that pathway, and and they think they're downright uh, bad or dangerous, and so they've they've 
for political reasons, blocked him off from, from all people. It's actually very interesting. If you think about it, it is almost akin to the story of, in the Christian tradition, in the Garden of Eden, the tree that you shall not eat of, the tree of knowledge. Mm-hmm. It brings you wisdom. And uh, then you know for yourselves right and, right and wrong. Well, today we have an issue where people tune their moral compass to whatever the authorities say is the law, regardless of whether or not, as Martin Luther King said, it's a just or an unjust law, and don't think about things for themselves. And it's very convenient because then you don't own the risk of your and, and consequences of your actions and your choices. You can just say, well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Um, but the problem is, is you, you lose what is, I think, our birthright as human beings. And that is to be able to use the freedom of choice to be a gift in this world. And that requires you being able to think for yourself about what exactly it means to be a gift versus a curse. And, uh, and that's going to require you eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and learning right and wrong for yourselves. I mean, you know, every parent in this world would consider themselves a failure if their kid at 30 came to him and said, Dad, what's right? Dad, what's wrong? What's, is fire hot? You know, you want your kid to grow up and learn for themselves and uh, to become their own mom and dad, so to speak, and responsible individuals, capable and self-sufficient. And yet at the same time, when you look at the way that we operate from our, our political standpoint, we treat people like children. We try and protect people from bad ideas rather than teaching them to think for ourselves and try and create a psychological dependency on a mediating moral authority that can tell people what's right and wrong. And we legislate everything. Uh, I don't believe that everything bad should be legislated. You know, kids lie to their parents, but, and we, we don't think that's good, but should we make it illegal? I mean, there's a whole host of, of things that we've started to legislate and put on the books in this giant dinosaur of a bureaucratic institution the, si- the size of, you know, the most unsustainable body that could ever exist that's wrapping our lives in red tape. And making life this unbearable bureaucratic process of taxes and registrations and fees from everything from being born to driving to the store to catching a fish. We've red taped ourselves into a corner, Michael. You know, we've got more laws than the laws of physics. What are we doing here? You know, uh, you know, po- can't, human beings' life can't positively be that evil and terrible that we have to create enough laws to where the only way to be legal is to be a robot. You know, life itself has become so criminalized that according to the Cato Institute, you have uh, on average every American committing three felonies before, before supper time, you know. Ignorance of the law is no excuse there. Now, what we're seeing is, is just part of the same trend of trying to solve our problems through control and through top-down and politics gets involved in everything. And the more that people can start to think for themselves and the more that we can start to rediscover some, some of these very positive alternatives and, and, and empowering uh, consciousness tools, I think that we'll be able to liberate ourselves from that. The next generation who becomes leaders will just follow suit, as we're seeing with, with marijuana as it makes its way into decriminalization and as psychedelics will follow. What's interesting is that if you look at the schedule of narcotics, that they, you know, I think a schedule one narcotics was illegal. 
you know, everything from cannabis, which is hardly harmful to anybody for any reason, to, you know, psychedelics and then also more harder drugs like up to heroin. I've heard that all these drugs usually create a peaceful environment, but the only drug that's actually legal and recommended is alcohol, which causes violence. <laughs> and so right, it's like, right. it's backwards. Right. Oh my gosh. You know, schedule, so schedule one, what is the criteria for schedule one, right? It's uh, highly addictive and has a high potential for uh, no known medical uh, uses, right? Well, alcohol fits that bill, but... Uh, psychedelics do not fit that bill at all. Marijuana doesn't fit that bill. Mushrooms don't fit that bill. Ayahuasca or LSD doesn't fit that bill. In fact, even if you look at uh, Bill Bill Wilson, the founder of the uh, 12-step program, he was a big proponent of the use of psychedelics to get people off of their addiction to alcohol because not only is psychedelics not addictive, they have anti-addictive properties. Mm. Now, psychedelics, even one trip of ibogaine or, or another, people have reported being able to get, get themselves off of really hard drugs like heroin, uh, not just alcohol. And so the potential there is, is incredible. And the research is lacking for political reasons. But um, yeah, it's really funny that it's labeled a Schedule 1 and not a single president that we've had come up will, will touch it. Right, it's not a popular subject, so you know, we're too worried, worried about uh, election fraud and all that other stuff. So, <laughs> interesting. It's funny uh, referring back to the video. It seems like the only experience I have between the last twenty years is one video in this conversation. But most going back to what the what these celebrities were saying about their experience with psychedelics, he said, if you break down hundred percent of their whole experience, it might be six or eight hours. What they, what they call a trip, like right? your, your high period that you have when you're, when you're on the psychedelics. They say 10% of that is color, right? You're, you're looking at all the different colors in front of you, right? And they say 10% of that, you're thinking about time, which is obviously a lot longer period of time. But 80% is just staring at your own hand. 80% of the time. <laughs> so Nick, I want to have a little fun here. Um, if, if you wouldn't mind, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, your experience with this comes from life experiences. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things you've done when you're younger, some of the things you discovered for yourself um, when you started experimenting? Oh, yes, absolutely. I was a very listless youth, and um, I had kind of a quarter-life crisis, actually. Psychedelics, uh, by happenstance, came into uh, my life at a very pivotal moment. And... Um, so I was going down the same road that everybody else goes down. You know, the prescription for the good life. You go to school to make good grades. You make good grades to get into college. You get into college to get a degree. You get a degree so you can get a job. You get a job so you can then make the money to buy the time to then do the things that make life worth living to you, right? Well, I'm sitting here looking around at all the adults in my community and uh, who've taken this path much farther than I have. And they don't look like they're in any kind of place now that, that I'm trying to get to. So that was a real crisis for me. You know, what the heck am I going to do? So me and some other stupid friends, you know, uh, we, we were skipping school and we made a pact, a very stupid pact to uh, basically never grow up like Peter Pan syndrome. We're just going to suck all the fun out of life, you know, and maybe base jumping, skydiving and die before we have any real responsibilities kick in at 18. Yeah. Real appreciative. And, um, 
we didn't die, but I remember I was going to a birthday party and I had a, a good childhood friend of mine in the car. His name was Miles Cena. He's now, he's now passed. But he uh, was just begging me to pull over the car because we were passing a cow pasture. And he wanted to go and look for these magical mushrooms he had heard about. And he just was relentless. So eventually I, I caved in. You know, I wasn't very strong-willed. So I was kind of curious myself. So we walk through. We don't find anything. And on the way back, we find this, this massive pile of mushrooms growing out of this cow patty there in the grass. And uh, there's a, a big one and a couple of small ones. We pick them up and come back to the car. and. Um, eat them. And, and, and right then, you know, I, I didn't know anything about psychedelics. Uh, I'm about to get in the car and drive back to a, a birthday party. It's not a good situation to, mm -hmm. to be in a good setting. So this was my introduction to learn about all that. Well, anyway, we eat it and, and get super sick and uh, overwhelmed. So I drive home and uh, I drive him home and I go home and I'm going home convinced that I'm actually going home to die. Uh, I was convinced I had eaten a bad mushroom and didn't know what I was doing. And um, now I've, I've poisoned myself. And so this is it. This is the end. Uh, little did I know this was just part of the, the psych psychedelic experience for me of maybe a death and rebirth theme that is really mm -hmm. common a lot of people have. But I didn't know that. And it seems very real, ultra real even. So, so I go upstairs to lay down to die rather than, than go ask for help uh, because that would have killed my, my ego and self-image, you know, to be caught eating mushrooms by my right. parents was worse than actually dying, right? <laughs> so, so I go and I lay there and I remember experiencing or imagining my heart rate slowing down and my breathing slowing down and then eventually just stopping. And uh, I was dead in, in my experience. And then I thought, but I don't want to be dead. So I sat up out of my bed and I felt the blood start pumping again and rush through my body. And I thought, wow, I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do then. If I'm going to, if I'm going to live, I might have to get over this fear of my parents just learning I took psychedelics. So I go and I, I look at myself in the mirror and it's like I'm in hell. This hot wind is blowing and everything is distorted and scary and I think that's it. All right, I'm gonna. There's this thing in my throat moving around. So I go downstairs and I think, okay, I'm gonna take a Benadryl. I've obviously got an allergic reaction going on, and I can't swallow it down. Just psychological. And eventually, I I I I get to a point where I cross over a threshold where not only am I like, well, I'm gonna try and do something about this. I got to a point where there was this will to live, this drive inside of me that shifted almost from a passive to an active state. And I grabbed, this, at the same time, I was grabbing an apple and I took a bite of this apple and I'll never forget the experience of this simple action because the saliva ran through my saliva glands into this apple and at the same time, it was like a flood of sensory information and the sourness of the green apple just overwhelmed me and flipped the experience 100% to the most uh, heavenly experience that uh, one could ever possibly have. And I regained this, this 
desire to 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 live my own life and a um, kind of a perspective that you have to take an active role and set goals for yourself and be responsible. That all came out of that. Uh, well, it was the experience of a near death experience, real or not. Um, that happened at that time. And from that period, I kind of went on a quest to figure out how it is I can, uh, where it is I want to go and what path I want to follow. And is it the path that um, everybody else is, is taking or is it different? That's an interesting story. So you had a self-induced rite of passage right there, uh, rather than having a guide bring you through that. It's funny. I don't know if I would have the guts to actually go to a cow pasture and pick up mushrooms because I love mushrooms, not the psychedelic ones, but just any kind of mushroom, you know, the ones you eat for dinner. But there are poisonous mushrooms out there that if you eat them, you kill them. And so my experience was I, I, I needed to find somebody who I trusted who can identify the right ones and say, these are what you should take, this is what you should be doing. The story goes, though, we got them from that trusted source, but he wasn't there to guide us through our experience. So our initial, my initial experience with mushrooms was what they call a bad trip. and. Uh, it was my buddies and I, we, we didn't drive anywhere. We didn't, we didn't have any specific agenda. We were at home, but we were watching TV. And I'll never forget, I was watching the movie Desperado with Antonio Banderas. And if you recall that movie, it's, all, it's a crazy film and all kinds of different angles of guns shooting like that. And I literally thought I was in a war. I thought I was in that movie while I was on uh, mushrooms. And we were all crying and freaking out, thinking people were shooting at us. And I remember my friend had to call his, uh, his, uh, brother-in-law who's source right and they came over and, and comforted us and, and then we flipped that experience 180 degrees but it sounds like uh, you and i had the same similar experience like if you don't have that guy that guru who can who can create the environment of peace of love of harmony to make that transition you could have a bad experience with that right no absolutely i think that the real fear is that you won't be able to integrate it and will end up fragmenting that experience off and labeling it as, as something as such as like not valuable and will miss the gold, the gold that's in it without a guide. So that's where a guide can really be helpful. James Fadiman talks about this a lot, the Harvard professor and researcher on this. Um, he's, he suggests, we try and change the, the language around this. And this is no criticism of you. This is a, just a general thought that you brought up for me. But bad trip implies there's nothing of value in it. And he suggests trying to think of it as a challenging trip. There's always something to learn. Well, most obviously that maybe we should have had a guide and know what we were doing, right? Uh, but secondly, of course, what, what is the insight that's in there? Usually the things, like when people think about a hallucination, they think of it as just a phantom, a fan, phantasmagoria of mental images that really don't have any truth or reality to them because they're thinking of it in reflection from their Monday morning problem-solving state. And it doesn't have any factuality or historicity maybe. But all of those images, just like in psychotherapy when you're looking at dreams, have reality and truth as they relate to man, the individual, or man, even the collective. There is collective unconscious, as, as Jung would describe it. And to be able to be awake and get access to your unconscious in such a visceral way that, that you can interact with it can, can create really positive results. And people describe um, the, the, health, the mental health benefits of psychedelics being like 50 years of therapy often. 
in a single session. And there are therapists putting themselves out of business by confirming that. So it's a really interesting phenomenon, but I, I would be quick. Uh, I mean, I would be hesitant before we write anything off as necessarily a bad experience, although there can be very uh, uh, difficult and traumatizing experiences by going into it with the wrong set and setting. Well, there's a lot of people who say that if you do too much, you can overdose, which we've already kind of covered. It's not really possible. But if you trip too many different times, different experiences, you can, you can end up in permanent psychosis. Do you have any examples of that? I mean, I don't even think that's possible, is it? Not that I know of. I mean, outside of uh, MKUltra, I don't think that there are, were, uh, are any individuals that are known to have been uh, uh, permanently damaged as a result of taking uh, too many mushrooms. I mean, yeah, I'd love to see the data and the research on it. Unfortunately, it's all pushed underground because of fear of uh, repercussions and uh, its its legal status. So, so it is a giant unknown, and that feeds into the political stories about its its possible risk and danger. So, hopefully, as it becomes decriminalized and uh, deprioritized, as in D.C., we'll start to see more research. We'll start to see more experimentation. We'll start to learn more about its potential to help us reach our potential through healing, learning, and personal growth. Well, Nick, that's, uh, that's awesome. I think that this has been very helpful. You know, I, I don't know where people have uh, more questions about it. You can recommend any, uh, any books to check out or any videos that uh, they might want to learn more. Or maybe you just feel like that, you know, connecting with somebody yourself with your experience. Sure. Uh, Michael Pollan wrote a great book called Change Your Mind. If you're interested in the research and the scientific side of the mental health and the health benefits and, and even transcendent experiences. Uh, James Fadiman wrote a book called The Psychedelics Explorer Guide that is a guide for the 400,000 people who, who, new people who are trying it every single year on top of the 25 million Who've, been, who've experimented with it before he wrote the book uh, so that they can do it uh, in a safe and, and healthy way. And uh, if you're interested in more of the anthropological perspective and maybe it's, its role in, in human evolution and the giant neurological uh, uh, expansion and leap that, that we took as homo sapiens, you could check out the, um, oh, Terrence McKenna's book, on um, food of the gods. I think those are three, three good resources to check out. And I also speculate about the some more psychedelic origins of our uh, uh, cultural and religious traditions in, in my book, uh, Return to Gnosis. Yeah, I'm familiar with Michael Pollan. I haven't just read a book that he wrote. Uh, that's where I actually started this quest about learning about mushrooms, not the psychedelic, but just the, all kinds of different ones. He, he wrote a whole chapter in his book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, which is a great book. Uh, but he had, a whole, he had a whole section just dedicated to mushrooms. So it's interesting that he uh, continued in, uh, in that uh, thought process. And, and where can they find your book? Is that, is that on Amazon? You said Return to Gnosis? It is. It's on Amazon. Perfect. Nick, do you have any, uh, any websites or anything else you want to plug? Well, you can always check out uh, my website, nickreed.co, where uh, that's where I engage with my coaching clients. And um, that's it. 
right. Well, I thank you for the conversation. It's been educational and, and interesting. Thank you, Michael. I want to thank Nick for coming on the show today. I also want to thank the listeners for coming to this program. Remember this week, if over none others, is a reminder for everyone to look internally for things they are grateful for. Remember the blessings you have been given in this life and even the struggles that come with the lessons that you've learned. Count these blessings and cherish them and help others to see them as well. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Be safe. Be free. And we'll see you again soon. Peace. Thank you.